0: If you'd like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast@gmail.com gmail.com or follow us on any of our social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Live on 4 Legs Podcast, and on Twitter at Live on 4 Legs Pod. I
1: don't, I don't want to be the messenger, uh, you know, somebody who delivers bad news, you know, or kill the messenger. But... Uh, I don't, I don't think any of us would be in this room here tonight if it weren't for Kirk Williams. So.
0: And away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring... Mr.
1: Stone Gossett. Cameron in the truck. Mr. Boom Gaspar. You can call me Al, you can call me Ed, you just, just fucking call me right
0: Hey, everybody. Now, welcome to Live on Four Legs, a definitive live Pearl Jam podcast. Whether you're listening in for the first time, the 74th time, or, I don't know, uh, the second time, let's just say that, Uh, we welcome you to the show, and thank you for dropping in. Randy Sobel here, John Farrar over there. Hello. And... We're not going to waste any time today because this is a pretty jam-packed episode. We have a guest that's coming on a little bit later who's part of the Pearl Jam podcast uh, community who's going to talk about his experience at the show. But this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about Fairfax 1994. It is a patron request from Jed Garfunkel, who we will get to his story at some point in this episode. But this is really important because this Show on April 8th, 1994 was the day that the world found out that Kurt Cobain was found dead and just simple way to start it. And I think you touched up on it a little bit during uh, one of our stories that uh, uh, the story episodes that we did a couple weeks ago. But what was the time period like? Because I was just I was a young child. What was yeah. the time period like just finding out that basically one of the gods of the Seattle music scene is is gone?
2: I mean, it was just in shock like me being God, was I 15 at this time? I remember being in high school and hearing and just like feeling just crushed like like it was over. You know, cuz like I I love Nirvana just as much as I love pearl jam maybe even more at the time you know because they were more like they were more the punk rock band the one who didn't give a fuck you know pearl jam was wasn't cool because they they gave they cared right nirvana just didn't care but they were they were kind of opposites but yeah it was it was huge man i just i remember just feeling terrible about it like just it was kind of like you know you it sounds cliche to talk about like a loss of innocence and everything changed but when you're when you're that age 14 15 16 like those of us who were that age it was huge like you were just like how could this happen like like it was just beyond comprehension to think that that something like this would happen it was it it changed everything like and i just i remember it it affected me
0: for a long time there's – look, I've, I've been trying to think of a good analogy for another superstar celebrity in their prime, musician in their prime that just basically, you know, just passed away, gone, and yeah. we never got yeah. to see what became of their lives. And, you know, I think the way that we we treated – and celebrated Kurt Cobain's life and death is kind of in in the same way that we were all just shocked and stunned about Kobe Bryant a couple months ago. That it was he was he was very young. He wasn't you know in the middle of yeah. his career, but nobody in a million years would have ever expected something like that to happen, and. You know, people still today, this is a couple months later, are still mourning him and his daughter and everybody that was on that helicopter's death. And I I feel like Kurt, for so long, and and really it was 1997, 96-ish, that I started getting into music, but the people that I surrounded myself with were still 100% mourning his death and listening to his music and and trying to make sense of, of what happened
2: yeah it was it's one of those things where you in the moment, yeah i mean you're you're sad because you you love the music and you love the the image like you know me being in Rome Georgia, like I was very far removed from any of anything that was that was really connected, but yeah i mean you you felt like these people were your were your friends and like they were your role models that that like you looked up to for better or for worse, you know um and i we we talked about a little bit there's that that documentary hype about the seattle scene at the end they they cover a little bit of what was going on on around kurt's death and they show footage of a vigil a couple of days later in seattle and there's just i always remember that just kids walking around with like blank stares and like holding candles Mm -hmm. and you know and you see the tv cameras like exploiting them you know showing it on tv and this but yeah i mean like that every time I see that it takes me back to being that age and like it just it just felt like your whole world had collapsed
0: yeah uh, this was again this was somebody that had such a a grasp and a grip on the reality of what the 1990s were well
2: it was too and and you're grieving too this the loss of hope like he was one of the ones who was going to help us change things,
0: right right he was going to be one of those people
2: in in our generation you know he was
0: he was the John Lennon
2: of his 11, 11 11, 12 years older than me, but still like as one of those people that you look to, to be like, okay, this is a person that we can, that we can count on who's going to be, you know, trustworthy and who's going to take care of things, right? He's not going to be, not gonna he's, he's not a fake us. person. He's not, right. yeah, he's, he's someone you can, someone you can trust and immediately all of that went on to Ed and you you know he talks about a little bit in the Pearl Jam 20 movies like they felt like they had to live up to to what Nirvana had started you know and that it definitely changed how they how they acted and the the way they went about their
0: business yeah this was i feel like this kind of burdened them for a little while that you know this time Absolutely. period where you know it's in between the time where Dave a is is just about to get you know fired from yeah, the band I mean, th- and think about think about this ten days. So,
2: in at the end of those shows at the end of March, they're in Miami. They they get in a fight with the security. That's the incident he talks about right. when we played that that clip on the the San Diego episode where he was on the radio. Yep, they they have the fight with the security. They're in Atlanta. They have the big radio show. A few days later, they're recording Vitalogy, going through these songs, writing these new songs. Then this stuff happens with Kurt over, you know, those five days, you know, in that in that Atlanta show, they play Go and he's like, you know, this is for Kurt, you know, because we didn't know where he was, he was missing.
0: And then the Monkey Wrench radio, he yeah, did a dedication then the, the, to him too yeah and then the you have
2: the orpheum show a few days later after this and then saturday night live where he comes on and does the does the tribute thing they do the three songs so this was must have been such just a whirlwind surreal 10 days to have been in this band and we know from the from the pearl jam 20 book too he talks about you know when when eddie found out he just destroyed his hotel room like he just went back and and completely trashed it and he ended up Staying with uh Ian MacKay from Fugazi, the their you know the Discord House, the famous house that they they do all their Discord record stuff is in Arlington, Virginia. This is all right around DC, like it's practically DC. um But yeah, like they Ian says in the in the quotes in the book he says they just stayed up and listened to music, drink tea, a lot of talking, it and really. Eddie was like, it says, he just quotes, Eddie was deeply saddened by Kurt's death and I think trying to get his mind around the ramifications that would surely follow because, yeah, like, think about, like, I mean, it's just, you can't, it's impossible to overestimate how big a deal this
0: was. Right, and, you know, this, it it really, it all falls down on him and, you know... Yeah, and and
2: I think he knew that and that's, that's one reason he... He I think he knew that that was going to happen. He was like, "Oh shit, like this is all going to be on me now."
0: Right. And frankly, like is coming out at a perfect time because it's it's following it's following this uh the incident. It's following the, his death. And people are looking for something to grasp to, and it feels like Eddie is almost pushing them away and saying, "No, we aren't the ones that you want to grasp grasp to you got to grasp to somebody else and that pulled people in even more and you know we're talking about songs like that you know like corduroy i you know i don't want you to depict me based on what i'm the clothes i'm wearing and and who i am and and uh stuff like not for not for you yeah right absolutely whipping like these are all songs where he's basically spilling his heart out saying like you don't know who i am i'm not the rock star that you think i am back off and people are just like no we we fucking want more
2: and even even too i mean and and a lot of time like the the vitalogy stuff was already in the works like they had already written a lot of these songs but i think to it even was a bigger influence on no code where they tried to be a little more faceless and you know we they have the whole thing where the the stalker tried to ram her car into his house yeah and that was i think this was the beginning of of them thinking like we have to pull back like that's i think why no code is what it is is because they were they were retreating and trying to not be so up front with everything with the emotions and the and he, and again, you know, he talks about the, the little bit of no code that you get in the Pearl Jam 20 movie is him saying, "Yeah, you know, it, it's been done before. We can, we can make this more of a faceless thing." And that's, you know, we started wearing the the bug masks and, you know, wearing the wigs and like trying trying to retreat a little bit to to save himself. Like the, it easily could have gone the other way.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think you'll hear. At, at a moment in the show, Ed says, without Nirvana, we wouldn't be here on stage. And I'm almost I'm in the mindset here of thinking that we don't get the kind of Pearl Jam that's later to come in No Code without this happening. This is Definitely. very possibly the game changer, you know, whether or not unintentionally. That changes the band for the course of their career and sort of alters them in a way that no one completely unforeseen that it could possibly
2: happen. Oh yeah, it, it was a moment in their career where it, it could have gone one of two ways. you know they, they could have easily canceled the show, gone back to Seattle, broken up, like decided, hey, it, it's not worth it, you know we, we get we, we just gotta stop.
0: But then also you have to think of this is really the first moment where they're taking the stage and they're addressing a major thing that's happened in, in the world and in, in people's lives and they're playing through it.
2: You know, you have to go back to those like, you know, and they they make a, a reference to Andy as well, like in the they talk about, you know, Andy was the was really the first one that that destroyed the innocence, and Kurt was the one that that ended it. You know, again, you know, four years later. But yeah, going back, having to deal with that, and then I'm sure it brought back a lot of a lot of feelings about Mother Love Bone for them too.
0: All right, let's bring you in for our guest uh, for today. He's going to uh, talk about the show real quick with us uh, from another Pearl Jam podcast called Jamly Matters. Let's introduce the show. Roach, how's it going, man? Glad. You can be on the show. Yeah, John, yeah, Randy, welcome.
3: thank you very much for having me on. I, I appreciate it. You guys especially have been really, really welcoming to another Pearl Jam podcast uh, coming into the world. So I thank you for you your sure. kindness Bye. and having me on. Appreciate it.
2: Yeah, hey, you guys are kind of the new kids on the block. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about how the show started and how you got it all together.
3: It's something that I've wanted to do for a long time, and uh, my co-host, her name's Billie Jean. Works in the business. She works under an umbrella uh, of of the Sony umbrella, but not obviously Pearl Jam's not under that umbrella anymore. But she's a huge Pearl Jam fan, and I've wanted to do something like this for a long time. And I found out she was a big Pearl Jam fan, and and I was like, let's 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 just see what happens. And you know, our our podcast right now is we we launched the podcast with the idea of, and this is something that I've wanted to do forever, is ranking all of the Pearl Jam songs in my head from the worst to my favorite Pearl Jam song of all time. And it seemed like a good way to, to launch the podcast. So that's what we're doing now. We're going through every album, and we're ranking them in order of our favorite to least favorite. And then when that's done, we'll take our, the least favorite from every one of those albums and then rank those until we get to... My favorite songs off of every studio album and whatever one comes out is now, gonna be my favorite is, is, song of all time. Is
2: that fair? Because isn't the like the worst song on verses is better than the best song on it's an, Lightning Bolt, it's right? An are you gonna account for the different albums?
3: It's an excellent question that I don't have to address for a year. Okay. So it's work out <laughs> it's working out perfectly. <laughs> well and then the other thing which it, I haven't it, I haven't it, broken it, it, to Billie Jean yet is that I I'm gonna be ranking my songs. So her rankings are just for fun. We're going to go back and rank my songs.
2: Okay. But you guys get contentious on there. Like, there are
3: some where you guys have, have almost come to blows, it seems that like. That binaural episode was really rough. Well, it got real. Uh, I felt like, and, you know, Billie Jean and I are, we are we work in the same industry, but I wouldn't consider us friends, so the first few episodes, we were definitely on our best behavior. But when she's gonna rank "Parting Ways" as as the worst song on on Binaro, that, that I, I just I, really I have to take, take yeah I've got to I've got to take exception and I can't I can't sugarcoat that. So that's when it got real. And you know the the thing is we both like the as we call them on the podcast we both like the the songs that soar. So you're given the flies, you're unthought knowns. Those are both of our kind of favorite style. But she also likes when they go punk rock, which isn't necessarily my favorite. So. We, we do have some, some differences in our list, which, you know, makes some good conversation and good debate, which is great to kind of launch this podcast so people can get to know us in that capacity. And the, the plan is, after we're done with these rankings, we'll just do—if you've ever listened to a podcast called Something About the Beatles, it's, it's literally just them talking about Beatles topics. So I say it's the lifestyle of Pearl Jam, and we'll get into, like, say, an episode will be the relationship between Jeff and Stone. And an episode will be about uh, the poster industry or culture of Pearl Jam. Yeah. So we'll talk about lifestyle stuff. But I figured a good launch-off point would be to get people stirring their passions about opinions on the songs.
2: Let's go back to the to the show we are covering because yeah. uh, you were at this show as as a younger man. T- tell us about that experience. What was it like? What was it like leading up to this show? This was a crazy time in uh, in early 1994.
3: It was my first Pearl Jam show. So. It has got a really special place in my heart because of that, because I was a kid living in Philadelphia at that point I had just i was twenty one years old, and I drove to d c which is ironically enough where i've been living for the last twenty years, but at that point, I had never been to d c and so to make the drive from philly to d c it was really my first road trip as a as a as a music fan. It was my first time seeing this band that had kind of transitioned me from uh, a more immature musical taste, AKA Top 40-ish, to now this is a band that I'm latching on to. And at the time in my life, I had flunked out of college and was really disaffected. And this band was was saying the things that were exactly going on in my mind and in my heart and in my life. So... To, to, to make the commitment to say I'm going to drive two and a half hours in a piece of crap car and hope that it gets there by myself. I only bought one ticket because I had no job, so I was really just scraping money together to get there. And it was, a, it was a huge, huge deal for me, and on a bigger level than just seeing a band and seeing your favorite band and seeing your favorite, favorite band for the first time. And on my drive down is where the news broke on rock radio stations that Kurt Cobain had had passed away that this is when they f- they found his body and that was a shock that was very sobering but I gotta be honest with you if, if I'm thinking back to 21 year old me the first thought was oh man I hope they don't cancel the show <laughs> Which is yeah, a very yeah, morbid thing to say. There were, there
2: were s- rumors that it was going to be canceled.
3: And that was the thing, and I know that's a very callous thing to say, but when you're, li- when you're a kid, and I'm, I consider 21 a kid, and you've scraped together every cent you had to buy one ticket to a show that's three hours away from where you live, and you got a hunk of junk that might not make it there, that did feel like it was a, oh no, if they cancel this show, I'm never going to be able to get back down here, and I'm, I don't know if I'm ever going to see this band again, because look, we didn't know. We, we just lost a band. We didn't know who was going to be here five years from now, two years from now. So that was a real concern of mine on top of all of the kind of, oh shit, Kurt Cobain is dead. That's ridiculous. So you get into
0: the show and you get into the building and what kind of, you know, I, I've heard things like, it was a very tense atmosphere there. The band very tense on stage. Uh, wh- how did you feel being around uh, and in front of them and in front of everybody else? How, had, how was the atmosphere in the building?
3: So it was my first experience with, with with meeting other Pearl Jam fans, which was exhilarating on its own because you know I felt like a, a guy who was liking this band, and everybody else was kind of just putting up with me liking this band. So just being around people who just wanted to talk about Pearl Jam was great. We still do that to this day, and we still do the speculation of, hey, what kind of move do you think Ed's going to be in? Do you think uh, Stone's going to have – what kind of outfit is he – like the stuff that we talk talk about now is the same stuff that we were talking about then with that dark cloud of this just happened. What does this mean for this show? What does this mean for the future of this movement? What does this mean for music? So it was definitely, to me, an underlying tension – outside in the parking lot but also kind of a still had that little buzz of a we're at a we're at a concert and we're going to see Pearl Jam and we know that they bring it live it was when we got inside and everybody you know the lights went down and they hit the stage and and it was release and number one we knew they were going to play at that point so that was that was a kind of a okay good but secondly Release is one of those songs where it's like, but if they had played another one of their slower opening type songs, it wouldn't have hit as hard as as release did at that time because that song is i don 't it just ties into what everybody was feeling, so hearing him and you know they having them having Ed singing in the dark, which is always a great way to start off shows because it, it's just his voice which just fills the room it's it's just a it's just re, it gives you chills um. It was a really, really surreal experience. That song in that atmosphere with everything going on brought the chills, brought the sadness, brought all those emotions that you would think it did.
0: Yeah, that's... I mean, when I when I think of emotional shows, and at the time, like you were saying, there you don't have a lot of slow burn starters. You have *Release in Oceans* and maybe a *Wash*, but, but uh, the *Wash* doesn't really elicit that type of emotion. Mm-hmm. But later on, you get stuff like *Long Road*. You get stuff like *Love Boat Captain* that yep. really do bring out that sort of emotion. And when they are set amongst to play uh, these kind of shows later in their career. They will bust that out and people will go back to a show like this and be like, hey, you know, remember when they busted out release for the day that Kirk died? Yep. Well, you know, now they're busting it out for, you know, the first show after Ross Killed or or I think that one was was Long Road. But in any case, you go back to those songs and they vividly give you a sort of, I guess, a feel of what's going on on stage and how they're feeling in their minds and their hearts that day and kind of share with with the crowd exactly what's going on. I, I feel like this whole set list did just that. I mean, you have a lot of very emotional songs in there you have the the versions of footsteps in black like that usually don't fit together like that in that that time so like there there are some certain things that they're doing that are a little bit unprecedented
3: yeah and it you know for me this this is a very unique sounding show and it it was it was it was a it solidified first of all my decision in what band I chose to kind of get behind, and it's it it made me really, really proud to be a Pearl Jam fan because of how they performed that night you know i, I don't I don't want to say that a lot of bands wouldn't have performed because I don't know what they would have done, but to bring the energy that they brought that night and to to do all that with obviously heavy hearts, um, it 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 showed me a lot about the character of that band, which they would reinforce many times over the years. But for me, that was the that was the first dealing of of adversity that I had to go through with this band, and to see them kind of perform or measure up to what standard that I was holding to them, and probably. Holding them to a higher and higher standard as we move forward was was very gratifying to me on a, in a weird kind of way. Any final
0: parting takes just being at the show, just things that you remember. Yeah, any, we usually uh, ask, we usually go there. through our top
2: three moments. So if you have any moments that you remember that that stand out, uh, l- let us know.
3: Yeah. So the the playing of Corduroy and hearing that this was the first time I heard Corduroy that definitely popped for me. Um, I don't remember after what song, but they 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 did release. They ripped through Go and Animal. Uh, and I'm seeing on the set list it was Dissident and Why Go. But I'm not sure at some point after we had ramped up, he stopped and did a, a really, really touching and poignant um, tribute to, to Kurt Cobain. Yeah, after and, Jeremy. So, yeah. okay, so they ripped through those songs. And, you know, the first thing he's, he's, he's literally saying is I don't know if anybody would be here, any of us would be here tonight if it wasn't for Kurt, Cob- Kurt Cobain. Which, right. you know, that gave – put it home for everybody. Um, so that definitely was a, a second memorable thing. And then I don't know if you guys have, have hit on this or going to hit on it later in the show. But um, one of – at this point, he was no longer climbing things. But he was doing the thing where he was destroying the stage with the mic stand. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he he did that. And then – and I think he dropped through. I'm trying to make sure I got the, the show that I was at versus the show I've seen on VHS. But I think he did a hole in the in the stage and dropped through that hole in the stage. Uh,
2: no, I think what it was is he, from what I remember, he dropped the mic stand upside down through the hole, and then like someone was under there, or someone went under there, and like was throwing it, like pushing it back <laughs> up at him. It was very strange. But yeah, I don't I don't think this was a disappearing one. I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, there that, was one a, where that's he an
3: jumped. <laughs> So, okay, so th- putting a hole in the stage, which I'm sure everybody loved. Uh, the whole crew probably just loved having to replace a stage every night. Uh, yeah, I'm sure <laughs> they, had to,
2: they had to write a check for that one.
3: Exactly. And it wasn't like that one time. He was doing it almost every show during that tour. So, yeah, that was definitely – those are my three memorable moments. And then, of course, just a couple of days later, they're on Saturday Night Live with the, the, the K tribute. So that yeah. all was happening within within three or four days. So it was a really – intense and now look back memorable time uh in the band's history and I'm, I'm 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 really really fortunate to have been in that aura or in that universe at that point
0: yeah we say we say it a lot the 94 95 area was really a turn a huge turning point for the band yep. and probably you know going into this transitional phase right here because we like you said you had no idea whether they would be a band after after this, if they would cancel the show and then basically call it quits, and that that would be the end of the Seattle scene. But uh, and Ed had questioned it a, a lot after after this. But this is really the transition from you know their. That teenage band and and they're yeah. kind of figuring it all out, and Ed's kind of figuring out who he is as a, per, as a person, who he wants to be as a musician, and the whole band is figuring out with obviously things like Ticketmaster and uh, uh, you know other ordeals that you know what they want to stand for, and I think it, it definitely. Put that image out on the crowd, and uh you know all that all that sort of thing, so uh we thank you for taking a couple of minutes to to talk about the show with us that That was a lot of fun. We need to have you back to actually get you. Talking about a full show and, and get you running through the gambit here,
3: John. We uh, are definitely going to do the Patreon episode. I am Sounds down good. for that, <laughs> yep. and we will uh, yeah. we will discuss. I have to
0: referee another one of these theories.
3: I'm I'm down for that. But thank you guys, I appreciate it, and and thank you again for being so welcoming uh, into my into the podcast world with my podcast. So thank you guys.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Yep. Listen to Jamley Matters. They're on all the same pod yep. podcast platforms as us. Yep. Uh, any? Do you want to shout out your uh, social media? Is where people can follow you at?
3: Uh, Twitter at Jamly Matters, and we're on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Jamly Matters. So, yeah, Perfect. thank you. Thank you, guys.
0: All right, that was all really, uh, really good stuff from Roach. And again, listen to Jamley Matters if you uh, if you get a chance to on all the pod- same podcast platforms that we are. And um, all right, I, I, I think, look, there's a lot to be said just going through the motions on this show. And, um, you know, since. It was his request. I was going to save this for later, but maybe now is a good time to do this. Uh, I'm going to read Jed's story, and hopefully that can tie into what this show is going to be, because you got got Roach's story. So now uh, Jed Garfunkel, who is our patron, and i'll throw in there real quick because we haven't talked about it yet patreon.com slash live and four legs we're still releasing exclusive content as much as we can and uh trying to get it out to you while everybody's still social distancing and and quarantining and all that so if you want to become a patron we have one dollar and five dollar tiers head on over to patreon.com slash live and four legs and just like what jed requested today you'll have a show in the future that you'll be able to request to. So Jed, his story here is very interesting. He sent me and I'll share this on the social media pages. uh, He was in high school at the time and his school newspaper posted a story about him and three of his friends who were dubbed the PJ four because they were so, like avid in the Pearl Jam that they bought. They went out and they bought tickets for a hundred bucks for the show. They want, they go out and they buy the $40 bootlegs and all that. So people know them as PJ four, which is kind of funny because this is within the fourth year of their existence. So it's kind of like, you know, that PJ four PJ 20. So it's got a, it's got a couple of different meanings to it. So it, it's pretty cool. So he said, the story starts on April 8th, that obviously they found out that Kurt Cobain had died when we found out we were in our uh, on the car on the way to the show by the time the show started we were in shock to, uh, to even process the magnitude of the news but the band was shooken a bit harder even from the last few rows in the back of the arena you could see that they were wearing their emotions on their sleeve the release opener brought us all into their emotional state the next few songs pumped up the arena with raw emotion and wired an energetic mixture of grief and pure joy of sur- survival against all odds. It felt like everyone in the room was grappling with the same intense emotions. After a few songs, Eddie made one of the most memorable statements of the night, announcing that he knew the crowd would understand if they would only play one last song, as if it was a tough night for everybody. From that point on in the show, we felt even more fragile, like the show might end at any moment, and we were ravenous for every second of music because we just continued to be blessed with the music around us but luckily they continued on and as for that night and the next few weeks the experience of that show helped us grieve and heal from the pain of losing a hero the other major speech eddie made that night was before porch when he talked about how people elevate you when you're in a band and how none of us would have been there that night if it weren't for kurt and the whole night was just a mess of energy emotion grief celebration and communal bonding It was so much more than any concert I'd ever been a part of before or since, and that night influenced my life in so many ways that I cannot list. I've seen Pearl Jam over 90 times in the past 25 years, but nothing will ever compare to this April 8th show, which is, that's, I mean, that's pretty intense. Like, you know, really, you know, he's probably like 15, 16 years old to get, into that mindset and you know you were that age like you were saying before and, and it's your whole entire world and it's really being laid out right in front of you that you're getting the number two sort of say to say like you're getting their their grieving from this. It, you can't in any other field, in any other way, you can never picture what what's going through somebody's head yeah. at a time like this and this is one of but the I mean, very rare moments could, where
2: you can you can feel the tension from the first note like you they were obviously they're, you know they were playing like their lives depended on it and when we're you know when we're doing this show because you know we're right around the, the anniversary of the show 26 years but also I think it ties in with how things are going now, right? So we have this tour that's canceled. We don't know when the band is going to be able to play again, right? We just don't know. Think about what the atmosphere in that in the building is going to be like when they finally come back. Like I was thinking about this when I was watching this show. Think about the how starved – the people in that room are gonna be for some kind of connection. Think about how the band is gonna feel after being off the song and they're going through the same things that we're going through they're gonna it's gonna be such a release like no pun intended it's gonna be so emotional in that building like it's it's that first show back is gonna be one of these shows where you can it's gonna be in the air like can you imagine? Hearing, like save you, like how how much that's going to resonate with with that crowd the first time they play it again. Yeah, long road, long road years, is, yeah. in 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 hiding, mm-hmm. black al- alive. Like, can you imagine? Like, everyone in that building is going to be crying when they play alive the first time back. Mm-hmm. Like myself included. Like, I was almost breaking down watching the show on YouTube last night because you're thinking like everything that that we're going through right now all the stuff that's happening in the world
0: just fragile this,
2: this band has been there for nearly 30 years and we've latched onto it at times and I've talked about this too in times when we needed them they've been there and that these first shows these this tour that's coming later this year next year whenever whenever it's safe for them to play again I almost it's almost going to be too much to handle like I can't even imagine being in that building right now think about everything like everyone is going to be feeling so much about everything that we've been through and wanting to like it's it's just going to be those shows are going to be so special
0: let's uh let's hop into the show itself and you know like we've mentioned many a times already in this episode release is your moment where they can go on stage and and go through the healing process songs that has to touch up on you know life and death and the emotional grieving yeah, process and
2: it's it's so perfect like, like roach mentioned that he comes out in the dark his voice is the only thing that you you can't see anything it's the only thing you hear it's it's one of those things where it's it's a it's just a moment like it's it was the perfect way to open the show
0: yeah i don't think at this point there's no other song that they'd be able to open with that could Tell the crowd what's about to happen and how they're feeling specifically. And and Ed even says that right after release. He says, I think you know what's on our minds. Let's just do this thing. And they get right into Go. And, And Go is so important because that's the song they play in Atlanta where he makes mention to Kurt, you know, this one's, you
2: know, that, you know, that was on purpose. It's a direct, Mm -hmm. it's a direct reference to that performance. Yeah. And don't, don't go
0: right. Exactly. The, the lyrics, you know, in any other moment and any other show where they're going through the song, it can mean anything. And this, it's has a very specific meaning and it's, it's just absolutely pleading almost, for yeah, this, this to be this, this
2: version is not about a pickup truck,
0: r- right? They're they're pleading for this to be you know all a dream and all you know an escape from reality that they can you know they can wake up the next day and it's like it never happened you know and it's you you absolutely feel it from the band they're they're mourning just as much as anybody else they're are a part of this just as much as anybody else. big points that I want to bring up and it's kind of an analogy to it's kind of a sports analogy and I felt like the band while there were some tense moments on stage I felt like the big arena songs really brought it on this night and go was one of them for me that I felt like really had the energy and really had the electricity that you know something was Uh, something deep deep inside of them you know brought it it brought out something good and I kind of compare it to like when an athlete goes out there and the very specific moment is Brett Favre and he went on Monday Night Football the day his father passed away and he threw like four touchdowns 300 yards he had some crazy miraculous game and it's kind of it's almost like when you're going through the grieving process, you're, you're dying to put your focus on anything that's not what's going on in the outside world. You, you're dying yeah, and to
2: them. I'm, I'm, I'm sure. Like they, they, they might not have had like a band meeting or whatever, you know. But I'm sure they were thinking individually, like. Let's get out. Let's get out and play. Like, like I'm sure they were. This is the only like, way that we're going to so, get through this. Yes. Yeah, because this is what. That's how they're going to. That's how they're going to get out these emotions and get out these feelings and to go play for people and to do what they do and to be able to to let it out on stage with through their instruments and and music is one of the the only things that you can do that sports to an extent, but music and art is is something that allows you. You know, that cathartic, you know, again, no pun intended, the release to be able to to channel your feelings through that instrument and to be able to to put it into that instead of keeping it inside it. It must have felt amazing. Like I'm sure they were they felt like they were flying during the, the first part of this set.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I I think it's one of those things where you're just you're running off of that raw energy and raw emotion where they're probably not even thinking in the moment what's going on. They're just kind of like, okay, here's the song. Just think about the song. Don't think of anything else. It's
2: one of those things where every every note that you hit feels like otherworldly. It's like it's you're being you're like you're not even playing it it's just being channeled through you you know right there's there's moments like that if you're you know if you guys have ever been in bands like you're lucky to have one of those moments in your in your life and this is one of those for them i'm sure
0: yeah and they would go on to have many more along the course of their career where you know something catastrophic would happen and they need sort of almost like the higher power of music to sort of lift them up and bring them into a state of mind that you would never have thought they could handle in this sort of situation. And and they do and they they do it so wonderfully that, you know, it's just, it really defines them as human beings as well, not just musicians. So we, um, you know, this is, a three-headed monster here of Animal, Dissident, and Why Go? And I feel like a lot of the same kind of intensity uh, that Go had. Why Go is really intense for me, um, especially towards the end, but again, raw and emotional with these songs. And you just...
2: Oh, yeah, you can see Ed. You can Ed on the microphone just... Just grabbing that microphone like his life depends on it. You know, right. you could see it in his. You could see it in the way he was acting in his voice. Like, yeah, he would. They were definitely feeling it. Like, I agree, especially why go
0: right. Just a momentary escape from the pain that they're suffering through. Yeah. Uh, Deep comes after that little section here, and like this is where I felt like while the other songs had the raw emotion. They were still tense, and everything was really tightened up. I feel like in, in Deep, they were allowed to loosen up a little bit and feel, like, a little bit more relaxed and kind of be in the moment instead of try to just get through it a little bit.
2: Yeah, I mean, the the intensity is still there. I mean, you get— 100%. The, I mean, this is, this is an Ed show— up to this point, like Ed and Mike are the are the stars of this one, you know. And deep is one of those songs where these these early versions, ninety one through ninety four, just he's just unhinged. And this is this is another one of those. It's it's right up there, you know. It's it's a fantastic version of deep.
0: Yeah, you get the descent and the madness at the end, and sometimes mm-hmm. you. You hear that descent, like where they're kind of going out of control. It feels like a, a tape recorder going in reverse, whatever uh, kind of analogy you want to make with that. But it feels like sometimes they are purposefully trying to do it and it feels a little bit forced. This, to me, feels so natural in this movie. <laughs> Jeremy after Deep, and again, very emotional and very intense. And you're getting yeah. the elaborate lines of the Daddy didn't give affection part with the vigor and the anger. And the rest is fully on the mark, fully energetic, fully exciting. Obviously, you know, for most of the people in that building, their hit song is going to resonate with them the most. So to get that really early in the set has to be. That spark of emotion for a lot of people in the crowd.
2: Yeah, I thought it it was crazy, and then, you know, Jeff just going nuts on the bass. Like you you would you would see him like fly through the, the screen at some point. Yeah, they were all and Jeremy's an intense song, you know, no matter what. But yeah, just one of those, another one of those songs that took on a whole
0: new meaning at this show. So here, like we mentioned before, this is where it addresses the crowd. It was kind of tough tonight.
1: Thanks for making it. We appreciate you coming. It's nice. And I I know that if we can't play or we decide, like after this, even this next song, even if we
0: can't play, you'll forgive us. So thanks. We appreciate it. You can feel how hurt it is in his voice. You can sense that he's very unsure of himself. You know, he's finally getting a second here to sort of collect his thoughts and feelings and, and share them with everybody. And he's, you know, is this too much for them? That's sort of what he's trying to express.
2: Yeah. And, and this is a really nice version of daughter. You get the, they, the Hey, my, my tag that they would do on Saturday night live that, is a reference to, you know, Kurt's suicide note where he says the line in the song, you know, it's better to burn out than fade away. And then uh, American Pie, like, just, I mean, there's perfect, perfect tags for, for this version.
0: And when I think of of Pearl Jam and I think of Kurt and their relationship with one another, I go back to that Saturday Night Live version of of Daughter where mm-hmm. they they tag that and yeah. you know uh, at the end of the show where the credits are rolling, Ed points to his heart and he points to the K on his heart, and yeah. it just yeah. you know those kind of moments they go down as ba- basically bringing a brotherhood into 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 music and and saying that we're all in this together as family. And they always, they never had the best of a relationship with each other. That was documented in most places, yeah. you know, Nirvana kind of in the Seattle scene was sort of on the outskirts of what Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains and Soundgarden were doing. And while all those bands were really kind of together and part of the scene, it felt like Nirvana was sort of the outcast of all of that. And you know they were, but they were all always lumped together. All right, let's let's build back in the set right here. This is kind of what I was saying before with the big arena songs, the big hits. I feel like they really came through really well in the show. Even flow is one hundred percent one of them.
2: Oh yeah, you know they were they were trying to blow the roof off the building.
0: Yeah, especially after kind of a dark turn with daughter, I, I feel like this even flow it lifted the crowd spirits and, and absolutely just, just looking to take it to, to different, to different avenues here. And, and Mike was tremendous in this one.
2: Oh, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Get a little singles combination with breath and state, of love and trust. And he introduces breath as being the old one. And it's about to go away for a while. At that point,
2: breath is one of the highlights for me. Like, Mike has an unbelievable solo it's yes. it's so perfect and you you see Jeff and Stone kind of like locking in and and going over and playing together during the solo and it's so good I love it when they do that when like you get those little moments between the band members when like they'll they'll come over and they'll kind of like lock in and like groove out for a little while and like you know that they're that's how they talk to each other on stage you know
0: and we got uh traces of Seattle 92 in this as well. Mm-hmm. Little mm-hmm.
2: war pigs in breath, which is mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. But yeah, like this the Mike solo here is is unbelievable. Yeah. Like it's I, it's one of it's one of the best one of the best solos I've ever yeah. heard him do. <laughs>
0: away by it when i heard it especially you don't think of the solo when you think of breath Mm -hmm. you think of just the overall just the energy of the song but yeah his solo was just oh, this was this was mind-blowing and you know obviously at this point we have played it so you your mind is already blown you you know what we're (laughs) what we're going for here and after after the singles songs, Ed says that it might be a little bit easier to play these on this night, and that's a back-to-back of Footsteps in Black. And, you know, again, we're kind of going back to release here. The songs that are uh, affiliated with loss, that are affiliated with death, that are affiliated with, uh, you know, darker subject matter. And, you know, it, it's not long after this that we get immortality that's written it gets debuted at what the boston garden show on the on the 10th of april so that's like two days later yeah so that's yeah, and they,
2: supposedly they had they had written it the the day of that atlanta show or started it
0: you know people have their theories on if that's about kurt or just about the overall idea of what yeah. kurt's life was like but i you know i i think that in some way shape or form he absolutely something it definitely influenced it
2: there's some of it in there for sure
0: yeah i think so yeah but, yeah i mean th- you kind of need these songs in here though you need oh, footsteps, foot, you footsteps
2: is it's it's perfect footsteps in black are perfect i don't have a single bad thing to say about them you get the
0: unplugged uh version I
1: I'm to Ooh,
0: oh, so I, I and they get the we belong together tag in this too. He's mixing in another word or two in this, and it's it's a little bit difficult to decipher what he's going for were you able to notice what what he was yeah you know
2: the, the recording quality is not a plus on this um so it's, it's not it's not perfectly clear but yeah you can you know it was it was a reference to something that he was thinking about
0: yeah i i you know sometimes he he sings we don't belong together and it kind of yeah. sounded like that's what he was saying, and and maybe that's uh, another. Oh, we, didn't.
2: we didn't belong together. Yeah,
0: right. That's another him and Kurt sort of thing. You know, maybe. Uh, you just never know what's what's going through his mind on this. Uh, you're finishing the set with with two big ones, but really, you know, we'll talk about alive, and then something important before we get into porch. But uh, Dave is really driving this version of alive again arena songs are absolutely powerful in this show
2: yeah to me i think this is the the part of the show where where the mood changes i think where where it goes from being tense and somber and kind of restrained to where they finally where this show kind of turns the corner and gets to more of a celebration and more of a More of a catharsis and a release. Ed was definitely feeling it. To me, it was this was it. Like, yeah, Dave A is great. You get Jeff goes over and like plays bass with the drumstick, and like again, Mike is just perfect. Like the solo is amazing. And I think that this was the part where they kind of realized, like, you know, this is what we do. We're you know maybe we're gonna be okay. You could you can almost feel you can almost feel the mood and the building change because there's a lot of a lot of crowd shots and everything too. So you can see. Like I, I, when it, to me it felt like alive was the moment where where the the whole mood of the show changed for the better.
0: The realization that they're only in control of their own destiny, and you know the weight on their shoulders is as much as they decide that they need to put on. And at, at that moment, the weight's off. They're just performing. They're yeah. being themselves. And. Um, the crowd is taking to every single second of it, and this is really, I think, the most important part of the show right here, before they get into porch, and this is a, one of Ed's best speeches that I can think of.
1: You know, we always complain about, uh, you know, the good old days and playing in clubs, but actually, you know, clubs, you couldn't get in unless you were 21, that kind of stuff.
3: Or unless it was a Fugazi show, yeah.
1: We're not all kind of far, we're kind of elevated, I notice. It's a little more than usual. Either that or I've gotten taller. But I don't think it's very good to elevate yourself. I think that can be very dangerous. Sometimes, whether you like it or not, people elevate you whether you like it or not, it's real easy to fall. So uh, I don't, don't want to be the messenger, uh, you know somebody who delivers bad news. You know, uh, kill the messenger. But uh, I, I don't. I don't think any of us. Would be in
0: this room here tonight if it were for Kirk And that is as powerful yeah. of a speech as you will get out of him, especially in this day and age where you know Ed is still—he's not shy yet anymore at all, but mm-hmm. he's still mm-hmm. breaking from that mold of like okay i have to interact with the crowd a little bit more if we're going to be doing this every night and and,
2: and too it's he's he starts out you know and and he's right like physically like there there was a lot of space in between the crowd and the and the stage and the, the stage is elevated above the crowd a little bit so he like it's it's so perfect the way he ties that into how they were feeling and he's, you know, it's, it's physical and it's emotional and it's, I'm sure they were feeling it, you know, all the, all the emotions that you go through. He's, he has such a, a good way to be able to express that and, in, in not very many words.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And look, I think he, I think he perfects it nowadays because he's probably, he's got so much experience doing that. Yeah. He, he knows and Definitely. understands and, and can capture the moment. So, beautifully that you know if it weren't for a situation like this in 1994 who knows how they would deal with stuff in 2000 and 2006 and 2010 Mm -hmm. and and whenever else they had to had tragedies fall upon
2: 2020
0: yeah I mean how can you possibly ever prepare for something like this but if anybody was prepared to address it it's One hundred percent them. So we we get into a really, really fantastic version of Porch and there's one thing that really stuck out into my mind once they get into the solo and the tag of Porch here, because you get into the tearing tag a little bit later, but there's sort of like this improv that's going on during Porch. Am I am I right on this before I get chewed out and told that this is Fugazi lyrics?
2: Oh, as much as I want to. Yeah. No, it was – this was cool. And like as soon as Ed, you know, spins off to – on the first verse, he immediately falls down. So – but yeah, it gets kind of like hypnotic.
1: Did it remind you of anything? Like a
2: little – not really. I mean a, a bunch of different things. What do you think?
0: I think it reminded me of the end of Grievance. Because he's kind of saying these lines like, "I can feel alive as mm. long as I can, f- as long as I'm free." Like it had that sort of, you know. And I'm, I'm not quoting him directly on that. I, I'm not ex- exactly sure what he was, what he was saying in, a, at that time. But it felt like it had that same trajectory. I love it. There's no connection between the nineteen ninety four version of Porch and Grievance. Let's not go deep into the conspiracy theories there, but it's it is it is possible that there are some common occurrences.
2: Well yeah, I mean it's he's probably channeling the, the same kind of thing like later on when he would when he goes back and writes songs, I'm sure he tries to go back and, and get in that headspace of of getting locked in and feeling like you know, and that – that bridge of porch is a perfect chance for them to, to kind of go off and and try different things and you know stretch it out and and in that yeah maybe influence them you know there there's there's different versions all the time but yeah it was I thought it was cool yeah just it's it's a little different than than what you normally get.
0: Encore comes in but but man this this crowd ends with an absolute thunderous roar out of porch and you can just feel that their excitement their energy and just how how much that hour and 10 yeah. minutes i that think i think too that goes back
2: to where where during a live it it changed and you know when when ed you know he only talked a few times and we 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 talked about what he was saying but the crowd was almost like i think afraid to react you know because they didn't yeah. want to like react in a certain way that would make the band react and maybe maybe they would have just ended the show and walked off you know right because I, I think everyone was in the and you know we didn't mention this with with roach but i think you could probably the people that knew what were, what was going on were kind of on pins and needles like is it okay if we clap like is it okay for us to to be to applaud and like to yell Can and we I think celebrate after, this. Yeah. Yeah. And I think after alive and after porch, I think it was, it was that moment in the crowd where it turned for them like, like, yes. Okay. Like we're, we're okay. The the show's still going to happen. We're like, like you said, like they're in this together. So I think that was, that was the crowd's version of the, that cathartic release for them to just let go and and pour all that emotion out into the band.
0: And it continues on into the encore too. Where, I mean, you're you're pumping the energy up with with rearview mirror coming back in and
2: well, so and so Ed hadn't been playing guitar any of the first set, so he finally puts on the guitar for rearview mirror, mm-hmm. and and so we get a little Ed guitar set here, which is why you get these these songs together. But right, yeah, you could tell he from the first from the first notes of rearview mirror, you could tell he was he was trying to break that guitar in half.
0: You can even in that, you know that that intro part that that's kind of an extended intro. There they do it a mm-hmm. little bit longer than it's usually done, and it's taking all the momentum from porch and it's just it's just riding that wave and they keep riding the wave throughout the whole rest of the show. They'll play, I think, six more songs here, and the whole thing is just just at the top of their game.
2: We haven't mentioned them yet, but Stone on Rearview Mirror is doing. A little thing during the verses he's doing a little up up upstroke thing and it's it's fantastic like i i'm gonna go back and listen to this again like great version of rearview mirror
0: this is vitalogy here your only two vitalogy songs at on this night and they were doing a little bit more vitality at the time maybe you know not for you feels like it's it's every night but then you get you know a last exit or a tremor Christ or a whipping or something Yeah they they in. were
2: they were sprinkling them in like a few you get you get two or three every night
0: Right but quarter yeah. right here has only been played 3 times this is the third time that mm-hmm. it's been played but already and you know we've heard you know, if you've listened to our corduroy evolution episode, you know all about the very early corduroys and how they were yeah. sort of trying to figure it out and figure out what this song was and and where it was going to be later on in their career. But it, oh yeah, it's 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 already it's, there. it's
2: already a little more finished version than St. Louis was even yeah three four weeks before yeah yeah
0: they figure out how to finish it they figure out you know that. It just has that energy. Obviously, I think we both agree that Jack is the guy for Corduroy, but you know, listening to Dave A on Corduroy, it works just as well. It's just so much harder and so much, so much faster. While Jack kind of fits in a little bit more in the pocket, but this version just works and it soars and it feels like they've been playing it forever, as if you would have heard it in, you know, 2020 playing it for the 450th time.
2: And another, another great Mike solo. You know, they they show him on the video, and he's definitely feeling it. Like he was already playing around with with the solo and how the song was going to end, and they kind of. They don't extend it really, but they, it's just kind of they hold on that one note at the end for a little while, and then it is really cool.
0: Yeah, I like that. I liked I liked how it finished. Yeah. It, it was it was a unique way of finishing "Corduroy," especially we've heard these early '94, or '95 versions where they've sort of they've tried to do some unique things and kind of it sounds too much like how "Not for You" would end, where it's sort of just kind of I guess noodling at the ending, but. No, this this one was very yeah. straightforward and just kind of yeah. ended on a sting. Um, but speaking of Not For You, it says uh, this new one is called Well, since you don't know, I can <laughs> actually make up a new name. Obviously, it's not for you, but we, we covered this in Chicago a couple weeks ago, and that was the fourth performance, and it's only, it's been less than a month, but this is on the 15th time that they've played this song. So I feel like this version compared with the other one has a little bit more uh, aggression, a little bit more passion to it. The other 1994 song probably came in a, a place in the set where they just lost a step a little bit. As we mentioned in that episode, Ed was not feeling that well, but I feel like this had what we know to be that not for you aggression.
2: Oh, definitely. It's, it's again, eddie eddie's starting the song and guitar he's just trying to break every string with all the emotion and everything that's going on through the night and you know I'm, i mentioned before where with jeff and stone on on breath you know kind of locking together and playing off each other and ed finally gets to do that with jeff here during the solo like he gets to go around and and play guitar with jeff and you they have a little moment together it was really nice
0: yeah, I I like when you know, especially when Ed does it with 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 the guys because it yeah. felt like this yeah. time period, it was just sort of you know you you get your theories about what five against one really meant and whether it meant Ed versus versus the rest, and whenever you see Ed connect with somebody and the other the other guys in the band. It just yeah. it gives this whole sense of that things are okay, that they are they're they are fighting on this together, that they are on the same team. Because sometimes it just, especially early on, like Jeff and Stone are so close and Mike is close and they were all within the same scene and Ed is really the outlier. Yeah, the outsider. The outsider, yeah. yeah. Ed continues on the guitar for Elderly Woman, I believe, and we get that and Blood yes. to finish up the set. And Blood is kind of this like all the other arena songs that i'm talking about here this is one this night where it's just turned up to a different level it has a different energy to it it feels like they are at the top of their game
2: oh yeah and you know the song's about it's about celebrity and it's about the, you know being being overcome by the the hype and everything you know the, the references to Rolling Stone and Spin and Circus Magazine and all that, and they used to tag it with with fame by David Bowie, you know, yep. to even, like, drive the point home even further. But, you know, like like Roach mentioned, at the end he's takes the mic stand and he's just smashing it onto the wooden stage Ooh. over and over again repeatedly, and he eventually does break a little hole into it. And right near the end of the song, he sticks the microphone stand upside down in it so, like, the... The part that the little, you know, part that holds up the the microphone disappears into the stage. It's upside down. And then someone's under the stage, like pushes it back up a bunch of times. So it like magically appears, like magically pops up from the stage. It's a very strange, strange moment. We're lucky he wasn't standing right there and didn't hit him in the face. Right. But, uh, but yeah, it's just, it's one of those things where he was, he was trying to get out everything, trying to you know channel everything he was feeling into smashing that you know one one square foot section of the stage
0: right and we talked about it earlier that he destroyed his hotel room there's a lot Right. there's a lot going on there's a lot going on inside and they're they're still young how old how old are they at the time they, kurt's uh, 27 28 20,
2: 27 to 29 yeah. yeah
0: for something like this to happen it's still young and and you know, I'm sure they've all been through grieving processes of their own uh, at a time yeah, like with this Andy in their life. And yeah, things, of course. Yeah. But you know, it, it doesn't doesn't get easier. It just doesn't. Even yeah, no. if you know a guy like Jeff and, and Mike don't have that same relationship with Kerr that Ed right. you know has, it it's still it hits you pretty hard because they're around it all the time and and it it's it's their hometown so um all right encore two ed's voice is just perfect the whole entire night i i have to throw that out that oh my god how yeah perfect Definitely. it was uh it's you know he's coming close I, I i liken sometimes on on really good nights of ed's i liken it to a pitcher of how long he can go and how long he can throw and he's he's going he's going like two hit ball here like pitching through 9 innings scoreless. Yeah, he's it's not a perfect game, but he's he's pitching a really really stellar outing with a handful of strikeouts probably in double digits, like 11 strikeouts. That's his line. 9 innings, two hits, no runs, 11 strikeouts, one walk.
2: I'm I'm going to call it a perfect game. Uh, I don't know what you just said, but I'm I'm going to call it a perfect game.
0: It's tough to say perfect game, but it's yeah, I mean,
2: indifference in is indifference is a perfect way here. This is this is not a yellow Ledbetter show. This is not a, a I got a feeling show. You know where it's going to be all fun and games. You know, indifference is is perfect for for this show. It's really really nice.
0: And the way that it's being presented with almost very subtle percussion where. I don't know what it is if it's just a hi-hat or a tambourine that's that's kind of being shook mm-hmm. and it feels like Jeff is taking a little bit of a step back and and Stone is taking a little bit of a step back and you really elevate what Ed is doing and Ed is speaking to everybody with this one and you hear, you know, the obvious everybody repeating, you know, the when when he's screaming his lungs out to fill the room like it's just It's a moment that everybody needs, and again, the whole thing is is cathartic. here sort of sums up everything they're doing but also yeah you're finishing with Rockin' in the free world and they're sort of saying here as well like look you know we didn't come to kind of mourn this we came to really get get through it together and that's been the whole second half of the show has been like let's Let's find a way. Let's find a way out of this. Let's find a way where we can cope together. And I feel like it's a perfect ending that everybody can just get off on a high part.
2: Yeah, and you know, and we we talk about Five Horizons, and it's it's an invaluable resource for for what we're doing here. Um, but I wanna I wanna quote from their a uh, little blurb about the show. It says, uh, "By the end of the night, the mood changed with the music, bringing everyone together and creating strength." People started leaving after indifference as the lights went down, and started running back in when they closed powerfully with "Rockin' the Free World," playing like they couldn't stop.
0: I mean, that's first of all, you never yeah. leave, you never leave a show until oh, yeah. the house lights don't,
2: don't ever leave, right? But oh, the, the, in this tour, like in Nashville and St. Louis, and if I'm lucky enough to get to go to their shows, I I'll j- I'm just going to spend the night in the building. Like, how can you? How can you even? pick up the pieces of what's going to be left over after these shows right
0: there's going to be a lot to go through yeah. especially when was the last you saw them last in 2016 i saw them last 2000. Right. like as as we stand right now i the last show that they've played was one that i was in attendance for and it's almost it's gonna be two years
2: oh yeah it feels like i'm sure it feels like 10 years
0: pretty much because we've been focusing and doing so much of this stuff for forever. It, it's just gotten longer. And, and, and yeah. you know, right now at this time, when we're recording this, I should be packing. You should be in Nashville. I should be packing yep. to go take a flight in, in the morning on the way to St. Louis. Look, it, it, it would hurt more if everybody was there besides you, if you knew it was going on and, and it was just you that couldn't be there. But since it's not happening at all, it takes away from.
2: Oh yeah, there's there's more important things going on. Right yeah,
0: now. right. You can yeah. you can kind of you know you can get past it a little bit, but if like yeah. if just Connecticut or just Georgia was on lockdown for whatever reason you couldn't leave the state, but everybody else can fly to to Nashville right. and St. Louis, then I think you know there would there would be some difficulty and I think a lot of people would be processing it this differently. So yeah. Yeah. All right. Why don't we, uh, why don't we pick three of our favorites from this show? It's going to be,
2: can I, can I pick 12? Like, I mean, there's (laughs) there's really, there's not a lack. Yeah.
0: Yeah, There's not a lack of really powerful stuff here.
2: Yeah. Um, I'm going to go with breath. Like I said, one of the one of the most amazing McCready solos I've ever heard. Um and then going back to the beginning, I'll say go and uh alive when when I thought the the mood of the show changed like I talked about. Yeah. Like give me give me those three and and yeah, you could you could pick Rockin' in the Free World. We kinda glossed over it like I read the thing from Five Horizons, but Rockin' the Free World's amazing. Um, uh, Black is great, Porch is great, the Rearview Mirror, Corduroy Not For You, Blood, like all of that gets gets honorable mention. I could have easily gone with one of those instead.
0: Yeah, They're I think I think Go has to be my number one because it has that yeah. the relation to tie in with with Kurt and yeah. what they did in Atlanta, and then you know a close second is probably the the Hey Hey My My tag on daughter again, sure. like sure. very obvious and you know dedications to to what's going on, and um, you know. I think the theme is just really the arena songs and how powerful the big songs were on this night. Even flow was good, Alive was good, Porch was good, Blood was good, like those are the songs that you want from this show. So if I'm to pick any of these, I think I felt the most out of blood compared to everything yeah. else. So
2: And and let, let too, and you you bring up a good point too. Talk about this this whole set list, like it's it's so well crafted and put together for everything that that they were going through. Like it's it takes you on a journey. Like there's there's high points and there's moments, and it's he's and Ed's so good at doing that. Like this is not a glorified G show, right? This is right. not a Rats show, right? This is not like a a Once show. And they're not worrying a, about busting oceans, out rare songs. Yeah, you know, like he's he 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 knew the perfect songs to play in the perfect order that would get them through this, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, I absolutely give him credit. This show is a 10 out of 10 for me. It's right there with Atlanta. I mean, give Atlanta a a 10.01 and this gets a 9.99 and they average out whatever, but it's, it's right there. Like there's with everything that was going on with you know, if, if I'm if I'm watching a YouTube video twenty six later, twenty six years later, and I can feel the emotion in the room, then you know that it was it was a special night. Right. So I I absolutely I can't give it anything less than a ten.
0: Yeah, I'll I'll go nine and a half because it's just you know I think it's a sign of what was going on at the time. It was a sign of how the band was responding to their first big tragedy that has gone on around them and and it like i don't know how many times we've said it but it prepared them to be the band that that we know that they are today and and you know without
2: yeah it was kind of the first the the first time kind of the five of them had to kind of you know regroup and be and really have a conversation about what they were going to do i'm sure i'm sure there were some tough conversations following this
0: look you know they have to get rid of their drummer, and they they feel if they feel like Dave A wasn't a fit during this time period, then you know that's that's serious stuff that they're really considering. How are we moving on to the next phase of this band and doing it in a way that we feel comfortable moving on? You know, it's there's yeah. a lot a lot of stuff going on, and lest we forget, Ticketmaster stuff is obviously happening during this time too. So
2: you know, oh yeah, they. They you know they went to go they went to the White House the next day and talked mm-hmm. to Clinton yep. and see if they could f- play some military bases like non ticketmaster venues. They, were, right. they they immediately had to go back and work on that stuff. So yeah, just crazy.
0: Yeah. So all right. That was uh that was a really that was a very interesting, challenging um in a way, sort of I guess a little bit um, relieving show to 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 do and and i think it's important for the history of this band and for the history of music i think anybody that remembers what was going on in the 90s can look back at a show like this and and say that's where things changed everything that we knew was completely demolished and we had to rethink our whole way of living and our whole way of of thinking basically yeah before before we go let's uh let's give a shout out to a couple of patrons that joined up with us the last couple of weeks uh you know obviously a really tough time for anybody to shell out any sort of donations or pledges but we thank Matt Schulfer and Ryan Morden for joining aboard on our on our Patreon and uh we're up to 40 people which is just incredible i don't think that's something that we thought would have been possible when this was. yeah thank you guys so much so you know all all this is just going to kind of go back into doing what we can to to help the show and and get our name out there and you know and get stuff out for you guys on on the tour whenever that decides to happen so uh thanks again and for anybody that wants to visit us on patreon and uh, sign up for exclusive episodes patreon.com slash live on four legs so all right next week we are going back to our around the world shows and we are going to stick with the Nordic territory, Scandinavia, and we are going to do Oslo, Norway 2014, which is known for...
2: I have a very distinct memory of being on the forums, watching the setlist thread. And seeing Stranger's Tribe and being like, "What the fuck?" And so that is what I'm excited to talk about. Good. One of my favorite songs.
0: Yeah, that's uh, it'll be one of the only times that we ever cover it i don't know when we're gonna do that yeah. boston show i i have a lot of yeah. stories from that show but it's not on our <laughs> it's not on our radar anytime soon so right uh right. but this would be the one version of that we'll be able to get to strangest tribe our goal for the end of the year is to at least talk about once about every song that there is to talk about Ooh. which yeah. look we have a couple of riot act songs that we haven't gotten to yet including Ark. right Right, help, help, ghost. Uh, we've never talked about rival on the show, and I believe that is on our docket for some point could later. Could do, you could
2: do Jacksonville, and knock out two of those.
0: Rival was played in Jacksonville. It was. Wow, I, I believe so. Okay,
2: maybe I may be getting it confused with Columbia, but uh, yeah, I've seen I saw both of those on that
0: little run. Supersonic could do that atlanta 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 2012 yeah 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 we're just getting all of john's shows out of the way now (laughs) um yeah not a lot of songs like sleeping by myself we have to cover i can't believe we haven't Hmm. covered that one that sounds you know that hasn't
2: been played very often
0: yeah but lightning bolt era you know yeah
2: still you just you gotta i mean you guys did a lot of the east coast that that one got played a lot on the west coast run i think
0: uh, that's another yeah. one that got played that Fenway night too. So had we have done mm. that Fenway night, we wouldn't yeah, be in yeah. this situation. But um,
2: <laughs> we'll get to it.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean, I don't think we'll ever. It might
2: not. It might not be till to, that. That might be a goal for 2021 is to get to all the songs. There's
0: there's a lot of goals. There's a lot of goals. Yeah. Uh, have we? Yeah, we've now done everything off Avocado because Big Wave is off our board now. So out of album songs, I yeah. think I think that that's all of them. I think Rival, then the three from, uh, from Riot Act, uh, Help Help, Ark, and... And Sleeping By Myself. And yeah. Ghost Sleeping By Myself, and Supersonic. I think hmm. we've hit everything else. That's kind of incredible. When it comes to Lost Dogs, though, Hitchhiker. Oh, yeah. But that's only been played once.
2: Only the one time.
0: Yeah, and then there's... I mean, we've done Let Me Sleep, but that's only been on Patreon. We've done B Girl a bunch, we've done Undone. Is that Strangest Tribe like one of the last ones we have to do from Lost Driftin?
2: Outs? Have we done have done Driftin?
0: We I don't think we have done we've done yeah. Dead Man. I think we've done hmm. Dead Man as a preset song, but I don't okay. think we have done Driftin.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Huh. I'm now I'm I'm gonna check this now. Now I'm curious. Uh, we've done Don't Give Me No Lip. Have we done – we've done In the Moonlight, and I think we've done Education.
2: You did Sweet Lou. We did Sweet Lou. We did you, both you of Sweet You've yeah. done All Night.
0: Yeah. We've done You because we did uh, – mm-hmm. they played that at Fenway. Undone, have, you, have
2: you covered it's, – it's not on Lost Dogs, but have you done Man"? Yes. Okay.
0: Yes. good handful of times because the man trio yeah, we've yeah. done okay um yeah dead man we've done drifting might be that we've done brother
2: yeah yeah
0: there was a that that happened really really early on the show where we did brother um
2: 2009 yep yeah
0: yeah drifting might be drifting and hitchhiker might be the last two yeah Yeah. that we have to do that's that's insane i think that's crazier than hitting all the album stuff You know what's even crazier than that is when we get to do the Gigaton stuff. Yeah. That'll be even crazier. So hopefully that'll happen sometime soon. All right. Oslo 2014 is the show that we'll be back for next week. So we will see you then. This may be the end. We're here, but not for much longer. And although we may be parting ways, I miss you already, and I miss you always. We will catch you on the flip side. See you next week.
2: Bye.